Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have one of the best episodes we've recorded all time. The one and only, the VP of Sales over at Qualtrics. It's Kyle Asse. Nick, why should people listen? Kyle is a master of nailing first impressions with your buyer. So if you're showing up and saying, tell me about your role, Kyle's going to say that to uh-uh, and he's got some better questions that you can ask. He also has some really good frameworks that you can steal to teach in the questions that you ask, which is a great way to differentiate from your competition. So I had fun. I'm sure you have something cheeky to say now, Armand. A three, a two, one. A Kyle's going to say, uh-huh. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, Kyle, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So 
let's get your three. Awesome. Number one, pretending you understand is killing your discovery. When I'm doing call reviews with my reps of discovery calls, I love to pause whenever they say, okay, that makes sense. And I'll ask, that was a pretty complex problem your prospect just described to you. Did it actually make sense? And they always admit that it didn't. It's just so much easier for a rep to move on to the next planned question than to admit that they're confused. So I recommend all those times that you want to say that makes sense. Instead, say, Thanks for helping me start to understand. Can we go a little bit deeper into and then call out the areas where you need a little bit more clarity? Beautiful. What's number two, Kyle? Number two is differentiate by teaching and discovery. Your competitors are asking almost all the exact same questions that you are. And so to your buyer, everybody sounds exactly the same. A great way to stand out is to teach your buyer something they already know. The goal should be that your buyer gets value from you, even if they never purchased your product. If you're able to differentiate by how you sell, not just by what you sell, you'll have a competitive advantage. So my advice is spend just as much time researching what you can teach your buyer as you spend preparing the questions you want to ask them. An example of this, if I was doing discovery for Qualtrics, selling a customer experience solution to a customer experience manager at a bank, I would say, hey, help me understand how you're currently measuring the digital experience. The reason why I ask that is a lot of the banks in your space, uh, your same size, are realizing that the only way they can compete against the biggest banks is by offering an optimal digital experience with a fraction of the resources. So I'm curious how you're making sure that you can keep up with that type of environment. Number three, don't negotiate price until scope is locked in. I see this pretty frequently where a buyer has a proposal with multiple options and they, they seem to gravitate towards the highest option and they want to negotiate price off of that one. The rep's super excited to do that because it's the highest cost option. But what happens is after the price goes down through discounting, then the buyer slashes the scope. What it often sounds like is something like, hey, thanks for being flexible on price. After talking to the team, we can actually do without 30% of the users, we can get rid of advanced features A, B, and C. And now the rep is stuck having to remove scope from the discounted price and they can't keep price the same. The way to avoid this pitfall is when the buyer asks to negotiate and say, hey, we're, we're happy to be competitive on price. In order to prevent unnecessary back and forth between you, me, my leadership team, my finance team, let's 100% finalize the scope we've been providing to you, and then we can go finalize the investment details. Boom. Killer. So in the prep call, we learned that Kyle is a discovery machine. And I think, Kyle, you have some different perspectives on how to architect the buyer's journey. And it really starts from the beginning of that first discovery call. And so one thing that you talked about is not just setting an agenda or not just asking people to tell me about your role, but setting an objective at the front end of a call. Could you give me a sense? You jump onto a first discovery call. What is the best way to kick that call off? So you got to remember that not very many buyers are looking forward to more discovery calls. What they're afraid is going to happen is 20 to 30 minutes of you asking them not great questions, not telling them what you can actually do to help them. And then you end the call with, hey, can I spend more time with you to finally tell you about the product? And when you set the typical agenda, you're immediately hitting that stereotype of possibly a time-wasting discovery. The objective is making sure that they understand from the beginning what they are going to get out of the conversation, that it's going to be a good use of their time. So I want to say up front, hey, by the end of this call, I'm going to tell you specifically how we would be able to help you, and you can decide if it's worth the time to further evaluate. 
Before I can tell you specifically how I can help you, I need to better understand your role as it relates to insert the areas that I know I can help them with. The other piece to this, the don't ask, the tell me about your role question, is I've seen senior buyers get really impatient with this. Their perception is, hey, you asked for this meeting. You should know what I do. You should know how you can help me. Why don't you just tell me what you do? And then they want to skip past the entire discovery right into your pitch. And then the call is basically over. So after you set that objective, you said, hey, before I tell you how I'm going to help you, I need to understand your role as it relates to X. Could you tell me about what the as it relates to X means? Yeah. So let's say I'm selling Clary to a a sales leader. If I go ask a VP of sales, tell me about your role, they could go off about recruiting, performance management. They could talk about a lot of things and not even mention the forecasting, right? But if I say, hey, we, we help VPs of sales better understand how to predict the number at the macro level, region level, team level, individual level, I want to be able to help you understand specifically how we do the same thing for you. Before I can do that, I need to better understand your role as it relates to forecasting at the region level, team level, individual level, as well as how you identify which deals need your attention. Can we start with how you look at forecasting at the region level? Now I'm directing the conversation to an area where the VP knows what to talk about, and I'm able to go deep into areas that I can actually help this prospect. Interesting. And so you're taking a pretty programmatic approach to the different types of forecasting as opposed to the traditional, tell me about your business priorities, or why'd you take the call? So you're very much controlling where you start. How do you think about the first couple of discovery questions a rep should be asking as you think about teaching a rep to do discovery the first time? Because oftentimes I find that reps will get pigeonholed in one area of the call, or they'll be like caught on a very one, two, three script. How do you guide people on those first couple of disco questions now that you've pinpointed this area of the call that you've started in? I think it starts even before the discovery. We have to go into the conversation with a hypothesis of value. If I don't have a hypothesis of how I can help a buyer, there are very few qualified buyers that are willing to go have a really broad hypothetical conversation trying to help me find out what I can sell them, right? So if I don't already have an idea of how they could benefit from my solution, I shouldn't even be in the discovery conversation at all because they're not going to have that conversation with me. So what I want to use with those first couple of discovery questions is begin to prove or disprove my hypothesis of value. If I'm selling Clary to a VP of sales and I can't help them improve their forecasting and deal review management, I don't really have a solution for them. Better to find that out quickly, move on, keep my credibility, than spend a bunch of time talking about areas that I can't influence the business. So those first one to two questions are to begin to validate my hypothesis of value and get more detail that I can go deeper into to uncover their current state, what's wrong with their current state, and hopefully gives us some ideas of how I can influence their their current state for the better. Kyle, how are you weaving in the teaching to all of this? Because one of the things you talked about in the beginning of the interview was in your questions, you're weaving in a statement of, hey, here's sort of what some other folks like you are doing. Here's some like credibility from my side. How do you incorporate that into the questions that you ask, I guess, if at all? Yeah, my favorite 
transition phrase is the reason why I ask that is. And so I'm telling the VP of sales, says, hey, help me understand how you currently identify the deals that you should be giving personal attention to. The reason why I ask that is a lot of VPs of sales simply store biggest deal to smallest and they gravitate to the biggest deals. And when they're doing that, they're actually missing much more winnable deals that are losing traction that if they gave attention to sooner, they could go win for a larger amount. So help me understand how you are flagging the deals that deserve your attention. Or is it more just, hey, the biggest deals where my eyes go? So here I'm asking the question to understand their process, but I'm also making them think a little bit of, oh, wait, actually, yeah, that is kind of what I do. And holy crap, maybe I am missing out deals that I should be paying attention to that I'm currently not. How would Clary help me surface those deals and get my attention on them soon enough to make a difference? So what's really interesting is you're not just asking, how do you identify XYZ deals? you're baking in a problem into your question. So not only are you educating them, but you're sort of planting the seed of a problem that you most commonly see. Is that intentional? And could you tell me a little bit more about how you think about what problems to be planting inside of your questions? Yeah, it is intentional because if they're not already aware of problems that I can solve, and if I can't teach them and make them care about the problems I can solve, I don't have a deal. There's no deal to be had there. And so when I'm thinking about the value hypothesis, how I think I can help the buyer, before I even get onto that call, I want to be thinking, okay, for the typical VP of sales, what do they care about? How are they measured? What do they most frequently do to attain what they care about? And what are the problems they're often facing? For the problems they are often facing, how is my solution going to help? Now, all discovery is, is validating that they have those similar problems hopefully teaching them about a couple of problems they didn't already know they had, and then tying it up with, hey, by the way, here's how my solution is going to solve those problems, both the ones you know about, the ones I just taught you about, and now there's a compelling reason to continue the conversation. What is your approach to articulating how you can help the other person? Because I've seen different styles. I've seen some salespeople who they like, they wait to the very end of the discovery call in the last three minutes. They're like, all right, so I learned all this stuff about you. Let me tell you about us and how we can help. And then I've also seen people like Armand, one of the things I know you do is like you weave in every couple of minutes, like you tell a micro story about, oh, you know, we see that a lot. We usually help people with X, Y, and Z. Let me ask you another question. I guess I'm curious, Kyle, like what is your approach to articulating the way that you can help in that discovery call? I think before the call even starts, I keep saying value hypothesis. That should be in my prospecting outreach. Hey, I think we can help you with this. I want to better understand and see if we really can. Is it worth the time to discuss? So even at the start of the call, I'm selling to that VP of sales to say, I by the end of the call, I want to tell you specifically how we can help you improve your forecasting and improve your win rate for key deals. That's my value hypothesis. I think I might be able to do that. Then that should mature throughout the discovery call to, hey, I know we can do that because I now better understand your current state we're aligned on where you want to be. So now my value hypothesis is now actually a value proposition, right? That's how it shifts. And then like Armand does throughout the call, I want to sprinkle in those stories, little proof points to give that confidence. So when they admit, yeah, I'm not really finding the right deals to focus on. Okay, well, company X had that same problem. They implemented Clary. Now they experience this benefit. That also makes it more conversational, and it's not just this rapid-fire Q&A, 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 and then the vomit 
at the end of, oh, by the way, here's all the ways you can help. I'm now going to verbally demo my product to you. Do you want to see more, right? So to summarize, at, right at the beginning of the discovery, here's how I think we can help you. Throughout the discovery, here's some stories that will support the questions I'm asking for why I believe we can help you. And then by the end, I now know enough to definitively say, here is how we can help you. Here are the results you could expect. If we keep talking, I'm going to try to convince you that I'm right. Is it worth your time to keep the conversation going? So Kyle, I'm curious, let's say that we get to the end of this first hypothesis and as a VP of sales, it's not my issue right now where I'm spending all the time that I need on those deals that are the winnable deals, and that's not the correct hypothesis. What do you do from there? Yeah, so I'm, going to, I'm looking at this question in a couple of different lenses because some products, some more simple products, only really support a couple of value propositions. So if that first buy hypothesis is wrong, then I probably just say, hey, who about your company has that problem, right? And I move on. If I have a solution that can cover then I need to have my backup options of other areas that I think that I could help. So I'm thinking about like the Qualtrics solution, for example, and I lead with, hey, customer experience, customer retention. My hypothesis is wrong. It's okay. Let me take a big step back. So if we're not focused on retention, is it customer acquisition? Is it mitigating cost? Help me understand the number one priority. If they give me that priority, then I can shift the conversation to another hypothesis. But candidly, if I go into a discovery and my initial hypothesis is that far off, there probably isn't a great chance to deal at that point. I'm really big. And when we go into that first call, we need to know our buyer won't have that strong hypothesis. We need to understand our personas well enough to not be wasting our time or their time talking to the wrong people. And I, I honestly haven't seen very many times when the hypothesis was that far off. So Kyle, one of the things that you were talking about in our prep call that we had was that you're a huge believer in making really, really strong first impressions. And so let's pretend that we've wrapped up this discovery call. It went really well. And we've moved on now to a demo to like prove that the explanation of how you could help indeed exists. What are you doing special as it relates to the buyer experience on that first demo to make sure that you're making a killer first impression? Yeah, so in the, the demo stage, I think the buyer gives the seller about a minute and a half before they decide if it's going to be an active demo listening or an email session for them to catch up, right? And so it goes back to how do we sell differently? And so most sellers are going to walk through the entire solution end to end, make sure it holistically makes sense, and then call out a few things that are different. I'm really big on applying the Pareto principle into demos, where you spend 80% of the time on the 20% of the differentiated functionality that impacts your buyer most. And so when I'm going into the demo, I'm going to call out from the beginning, hey, I know you're looking at our competition. There's a lot of things that we do the same as them because it's just required functionality to execute a program like this. I want to start this conversation with the aspects of our solution that matter the most for you personally, why they're different, and how they would benefit your company. Then I spend the bulk of the conversation on those features with the storyline of this is why this is different, why we built it. This is why it matters for you personally. And here's how it impacts your company. And then I'll spend the last 20% at the end kind of glossing over the required functionality that everybody offers just so they know that we have it. So while all my competition spends most of the time covering the same thing as the other vendors, I'm spending most of the time building emotion around what makes my product different and why it matters to them. 
And that creates more engaging conversation. And it's also just a different flow than they're used to. That's killer. So that's one way you're getting people to lean in at the beginning. So they go, oh, shoot, Kyle's going to show me something different. Kyle, let's say you start that call now after you set that agenda. What are other things you are doing to make sure that they're staying active throughout that call as opposed to the I'm going to slack and check my email the whole time type of call? A lot of it goes back to the why it matters to them individually. People are inherently selfish. And most people we sell to don't really get all that excited about the big picture company outcomes, right? Like most of them are not compensated directly by the company's profitability. And so by leaning in on, hey, here's why this matters to you. Let me show what to you. Now that you've seen it, it's no longer hypothetical. Help me understand how you think you would use this. How would you see benefit? How would this compare to what you're currently doing? Or even just calling out like the elephant in the room. Hey, I know you're looking at other demos. I know competition A offers something similar to this. Here's why I think it's better. Do you think it's better? Why? Why or why not? Be honest with me. Like just being human, having that conversation, that helps drive the engagement. But generally speaking, when you are building emotion through storytelling, when you're driving emotion by making it personally relevant, and when you're asking questions that require them to envision themselves using your solution and whether or not it would be an improvement, your engagement should go up. Kyle, you've got some really great stuff in planting landmines for the competition, where I'm a big believer that the more you talk about something, the more important it becomes to you. And so if you spend all this time talking about your differentiation, it becomes more and more important to the customer because it's where they've spent most of their time. What do you do in a scenario where the competitor has maybe done the inverse of that, where like, They've planted some landmines for you. I've been in demos before where I'm just getting peppered with like, oh, can you do X? And it's like, oh, shoot, we can't. But like, you don't need that. How do you respond in those situations? Yeah, so I'm assuming that I I know that they're asking these questions because they have been influenced by another good salesperson. So I'm going to call that out. Hey, people that ask me that are typically looking at this solution and they're typically thinking that those features can get them to this outcome. Our organization doesn't offer that because we took a different approach. Here's why we took that approach. Here's why customers like you prefer that approach. And here's why I'm confident that you would benefit from our approach. There's a reason why we invested our differentiation here. And here's why it's going to be a win for you. Like that's that's fine. I don't need to offer feature parity to everybody. I just need to be better at tying our differentiators to what my customer wants personally and for their company than our opposing seller can do. And so let's say we've gotten to the end of the demo. And at this point, what we've done is we've said, hey, we've told some stories. We've validated a, a variety of the problems that they wanted to solve. We turn off the screen share. How do we wrap this thing up? What often happens towards the end stage of the deal, whether it's at the demo of a transactional deal or proposal review for a complex deal, is the the buyer will say something like, hey, let me discuss internally and get back to you. And then the seller is like, okay, I know what to do here. When will you have those conversations? When should we meet again? Which is a huge mistake because even if we schedule that meeting, it never actually ends up happening because when when the buyer says that, what they're actually saying is I'm not really sure what happens next in the deal. And then the seller ends up spending the next several weeks just following up, just checking in. And when a seller is saying just checking in, they're also saying, hey, I have no idea what's supposed to happen next. I'm hoping that the buyer magically figures out how to get this deal done. 
when nobody knows what happens next, the deal is dead, right? And so what we need to do as a seller in this situation is understand the next two to three steps of the deal to get closer to the finish. And so when the buyer says, let me talk internally and get back to you, it's going to be fantastic. That's pretty common. Who are you going to be speaking with internally? I want to get a feel for who they think they should be talking to. And then I'm going to offer, hey, we talked to you about things very relevant to you and your role. I want to go repackage that. And I want to make it relevant to the new people you're talking to. Let's find time on Tuesday. I'm going to walk you through what I prepared for them, make sure that it will resonate with them. That way, you don't need to worry about trying to sell my solution for me. That way, I'm controlling the next step still when it often will get ambiguous for most sellers. Then I get feedback from them on my revised proposal, revised business case relevant to the other stakeholders, and then find time after they connect to get their feedback. The other thing that's really important to do is to understand that you probably know more about their buying process than they do. And so I'll make a lot of recommendations. Typically at this stage, we begin to build out an ROI business case for finance. Who on your finance would want to see this to make sure that it makes sense for the business, not just because it makes your life easier, but because it's going to drive more revenue for the organization. Oftentimes for solutions like ours, the IT team wants to know, will this be hard to implement? We don't want to get to the end. Have you excited? And IT says, no way. We're booked out for six months. Who in IT should we talk to to show them how easy it is to get a solution up and running so they don't become a blocker at the end? So not only am I trying to understand what they know about the rest of the process, I'm trying to teach them things that I know have to happen that they probably aren't thinking about so I don't get a bad surprise on the last day of the quarter when IT or security or legal come up and block a signature. So let's say we've got the situation where you're teaching them about the things that they're not thinking about, finance, IT, what have you. And they're like, Kyle, all that stuff is great. We're going to get there. But I, I want to shop this around to, if we're using Clary as an example, I want to shop it around to our RevOps team. I want to shop it around. Maybe our SDR team should look at it. I think maybe customer success should look at it. Uh, you know, Maybe even marketing should take a look at Clary. You know, They want to look at pipeline. And you get a sense that someone's about to take you on a demo train. And now all of a sudden, you're going to be king demo of Clary. How do you prevent that from happening? So sometimes people want to go down that route because they're afraid to take action themselves and they would love to go push the decision on somebody else. They want to go get other teams involved so somebody else can either say yes or no to the solution. Sometimes they legitimately see really broad impact for the organization and they, they want to make the, the deal larger and they can be a champion in a lot of ways. Depending on which of the two this buyer is, I may be totally fine to slow things down, go on a little bit of a demo train, trying to meet with each of the groups individually, understand what matters to them. I don't want to go do one big demo. I want to go sell to each group individually to understand what was a win for them individually and then back it out to collectively. If it's more of the, the case where I feel like they're just wanting to push the decision off, then I'll, I'll challenge it and say, hey, like, is this because you think we might be a better fit for them than we are for you? Or are you really just that excited about our solution that you want to get more exposure? And I want to get clarity on that because if the reality is they're not sold on it for them, they're probably not really going to put me in front of other people. They're just probably too nice to shoot me down and are trying to hedge. All right, Kyle, we're running out of time. The clock is ticking. We got to move to the final question. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Let's talk about a shouldn't. The last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they should break because it's hurting them more than it helps? 
a big mistake that sellers make is they convince themselves that every deal is sellable and they go pursue all deals. I honestly think that reps would sell more. They would increase their win rate if they found themselves a decent amount of the time telling a prospect, hey, you should actually go buy one of our competitors. They're a better fit for you right now. We're a better fit for you later. I think reps are in the habit of trying too hard to qualify deals and trying too hard to force deals when they should be a lot better and more proactive at disqualifying deals. Beautiful. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap from me and Armand coming up soon. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Kyle Say include... Number one, when you're asking questions, don't just ask the question. Say that the reason that I'm asking is because, insert a problem there. Number two, when you are going into a discovery call, you want to come in with a point of view or a hypothesis of, I think I'm able to solve this problem. And then through your questions, as you're educating your buyer, you turn that into a value prof. And then as you prove out your value prop, you give little proof points and case studies and stories so it's not an interrogation. Number three, when you're demoing, demo 80-20, demo 20% of the stuff that matters the most, spend 80% of your time on that. And for bonus points, stack your demo with the stuff that makes your product different as opposed to the stuff that everyone has. And lastly, number four, once you get to the end of the disco, the end of the demo, now you're negotiating. What do you do? You got to make sure that before you give any sort of commercial concessions or any sort of pricing discounts or concessions, you narrow down the scope. That means everything from the number of seats that you're selling to the commercial terms, to the service term, to the number of years in the deal, get everything on the table before you start giving any sort of concessions. Alrighty, Nick. How could people help us out here? Well, if you didn't know, 30 Minutes to Presidents Club has put together a little thing that we call a toolbox. And so if you go to 30mpc.com, go check out our toolbox. You can steal our frameworks and our battle cards. You can watch replays of our tactic teardowns. If you want to see Armand break down and build back up your cold emails, you can get all of that right in the toolbox. Even if you don't know how to swing a hammer... 
or build a house or put together a chair from Ikea, you can use the 30MPC Toolbox. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them.